Hello folks, welcome back to Planet Writing, where kids are boss. I'm your host, Katie Fries. This is episode 5, and today we will be talking to Chris Grabenstein. He's an amazing author, but before I jump in, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder of the structure of the podcast. First, I have a little intro, then a story and activity, then I introduce the author, then the interview with the author, and an itsy-bitsy outro. This podcast is super short and perfect for any length of trip, whether it be to the grocery store or to Bulgaria. Anyway, so usually this is where I introduce the short story for my listener, read the story, etc. But I wanted to share a story that I wrote called The Departed. It recently won the Georgia Young Authors Competition, which I am very excited about. It is not really very short though, so I will read you an excerpt from it. And if you would like to read it in full, I will post it on my website at planetwriting.wordpress.com. So here it is. July 4th, 1994. Today is the day that we should be celebrating America's freedom. We should be hosting lavish dinners. We should be enjoying time with our friends and family. I scoff at these ideas that were once a reality to me. For three years now, we have been engulfed in World War II. As I pack my bags in the dark of night, I think about what I am doing. I am getting ready to disguise myself as a man and fight in the war. How can I leave my mother and baby sister to go slaughter to go slaughter other human beings? I know. To try desperately to save my older brother and father to end this war before my family dies. I gather my luggage and creep down the stairs, jumping over the creaky steps. I look back as I sneak out the door, my last chance to turn back. I could unpack all my clothes, go back to bed wake up the next morning and pretend as if nothing had happened. But then I realize I cannot turn back. As I step across the doorframe, I leave behind my home, my identity, and the name my mother gave me, Kelly Smith, and take on the name and false identity of Desmond Warren. I hope you like it. If you would like to read it in full, I will post it on my podcast website. If you would like to write a short story for my podcast, here's a prompt. Write a short story using these words, hidden, inside, shoe, heights, trench, and persuade. If you need to hear it again, here it is. Write a short story using these words, hidden, inside, shoe, heights, trench, and persuade. After you've written it, go to my website at planetwriting.wordpress.com on the submit a story tab and do just that all right so today we'll be talking to chris grabenstein he has won many many awards for his books and is one of my absolute favorite authors he's a he's a very amazing author or as he would say a wonderlific author he was very fun to interview but i just wanted to let you know that we jump right into our interview without all the introductions due to technical difficulties but anyway let's get started many girls' points of view, and being a male, you must find it a bit hard to. What's the most difficult part of that? That is true, you know. Uh, the one I most, uh, I did, of course, the Jackie Ha Ha books with James Patterson, so I work with him. 
he lays everything out, and he has the advantage. I think he has two or three sisters he grew up with, so I'm sure he taps into memories of that. And then my wife and I, JJ and I, uh, wrote Shine together, which has a female protagonist, uh, actually a female narrator. And my wife was very helpful on that. So that's, it's kind of, she, she reads everything I write, and I think she's always helping me uh, make sure I get stuff right. There have been some times when she'll tell me, no, no girl would ever do that. So we can all learn. <laughs> well, I know as an author it's hard to write from a male's point of view, in my opinion, but at least I have a brother. Yeah, so just write your brother into everything and then maybe have him be uh, what we sometimes call a sensitivity reader. You want to get someone that you're uh, representing to have them read it and say, all right, that's okay, you did all right. And that you haven't done anything that is offensive or completely wrong. Wow, that's interesting. You've written from many different genres, horror, children's literature, and more. So what is your favorite genre to write in? Well, I have written, I think I've published so far 65 different books because I started out writing mysteries and thrillers mm -hmm. for adults. And I think uh, all of my books are probably in the mystery genre. Even Escape from Mr. Lemontello's Library is kind of a mystery. How are they going to get out of the library? Or who is stealing books in the library? Olympics. You know, there's always like a, uh, a puzzle to figure out something to be solved. Because that adds a lot of what we call narrative drive. It keeps the story going and it keeps the reader focused on trying to figure out what's going on. Even in the, I'm looking at my bookshelf now, the I Funny books I do, but James Patterson, there's a bit of suspense in there, like how did this, how did Jamie end up like he is, and uh, Shine, there's a there's a secret uh, contest going on, and we don't know what the rules are, and we're just you know hanging on to see how it turns out. So I find suspense uh, is probably my favorite genre, or at least my favorite technique to employ because I was what they called a reluctant reader when I was your age. I got bored reading. And in fact, I still get bored. If the book is boring, if it's a broccoli book that's supposed to be good for me, I'll get bored very quickly. But if there's suspense to pull me through, then I won't put the book down, down until I'm finished with it. That's actually very interesting because I've interviewed a couple other authors and they've said the uh -huh. same thing, that when they were my age, that they were reluctant readers too. Yeah, I think a lot of us are writing the books we wish we'd have been able to read when we were kids. Well, it's working. Okay, good. You are an amazing author, and you've written, well, you, like you said, 65 books, but what would you do if you weren't an author? wasn't an author. Well, I first moved to New York, I wanted to be an actor or a comedian, but you find out that being an actor is, is even more, you get even more rejection than you do as a writer. Uh, you are looking for someone to give you permission to do that. And uh, I've often thought about being a teacher, but you know, I, and when we're when we're traveling, I, I used to do like two or three school visits a week, and I'd go home and need a nap. You guys wear your teachers out. If I was a teacher, I'd have to have a cot in my room and dig a nap between classes. <laughs> Very exhausting. Yeah, definitely. I have heard of the phrase, murder your darlings, which basically means mm -hmm. you take out stuff you worked hard on in your story. Do you believe that this is valuable writing advice? Yeah, 
it's the hardest thing to do. In fact, I'm just now working on an edit of, uh, I have a new series starting this fall called The Smartest Kid in the Universe, and we're already working on the second book. And I just got my, a note from my editor, and there's like one scene that she thinks, eh, maybe we don't need that scene. And I'm starting to agree with her, but then you look at you go, I spent two days writing those pages, two whole days. And you got to go back and say, yeah, but the book would be better without them. So that's why it's always good, after you've written, either to have someone else read it, if you're lucky enough to have an editor or someone, and if you're, or just to let it sit in a drawer for a week or two, and then go back and say, do I really need this? You have to get far enough away from remembering how much work and effort it took to write the piece that you have, and then go back at it and say, does this work as a story? Is there anything in here slowing this story down? Oh, wow. I've never really thought to do that. That's interesting. Yeah, well, that's, I think a lot of young writers uh, think they write it once and they're done. But, you know, my book, Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library, I worked on that book for two years and rewrote 50% of the entire book eight different times. Yeah. There used to be all sorts of subplots in there about the mayor who didn't like Mr. Lemoncello because his wife used to be Mr. Lemoncello's girlfriend back when they were both kids. And, and there's all sorts of stuff like that that was fun and was neat to write, but boy, it sure slowed the story down. Because if you step away from a story, you can come back to it and you'll say, oh, I see what this story's really about. And so what do I need to tell the true story? Wow. Uh, I've always thought when I'm reading a mystery, how do these authors lay this all out? Because it's so intricate, some of them. They must have like written out the basic plot and then dug deeper. Yes, that's exactly right. What I always say is you write a mystery backwards. So again, an escape from Mr. Lemoncello's library. Uh, I knew how to get out of the library. Well, we did shine. My wife and I knew who was going to win the big secret award and what the rules were of the award. And we knew all the details of that because then you have to know all that stuff. And what I sometimes do is I write a little file that only is for my eyes only about what really happened or what, what the real solution is. And then once you have that, you start sprinkling in clues so the reader could possibly figure it out, uh, but hopefully they never do. <laughs> what kind of diversionary tactics do you use? Ah, uh, well, you, you do things that make you go, ah, I know what's going on. And you go, oh, no, I guess I don't. You know, so those are called red herrings in mystery because uh, in in England, when they used to train dogs to be uh, fox hunting, they would have the dog chase after a fox by scent, and they would get stinky old fish, red herrings, and toss them around the path, and if the dog went off to get the red herring, they knew it needed more work before it became a training dog because it followed the wrong scent. And so that's what we mystery writers are always doing. We're putting things in that you go, ah, I know what's going on. Oh, no, I don't really. Because it's really like creating a game. So it's a lot of fun to make mysteries. Yeah, that sounds really cool. My favorite diversionary tactic is where you divert with action. Aha. Uh -huh. So That's that, a good one. Action's always exciting. Uh, being a famous author, I think it would be interesting to Google yourself. Have you ever done that? I sometimes do to see just like if there's new reviews or if there's things that I haven't seen yet. Like I did not know that 
uh, a film agency that I just signed with made a big announcement. So it's like it's fun to see that, and then you can share it with people like on Facebook and Twitter and stuff. Excuse me, I have a peanut in my throat. (laughs) (laughs) You've been a co-author with James Patterson. So what do you think is the best Uh thing about that? The best thing about that? Well, you know, James Patterson was my boss in 1984. He was the creative director, which is like the big cheese of the creative department. And I'm probably the second or third largest advertising agency in New York City. And he hired me as a junior copywriter. And I learned a lot from him in that environment because, you know, when you write a commercial, you always have to grab people's attention so they don't change the channel or uh, fast forward to your commercial or push the button on the car radio because they don't want to listen to the commercial. So we learned a lot. And Jim was a master teacher at how to grab uh, a reader or a listener or a viewer's attention. And he taught me a very valuable lesson, which was always write as if nobody wants to or has to read anything you've written. He always says it's like you're sitting someone down in a chair and say, I'm going to tell you a story. And you've got to tell that story in such a way that they don't want to get up and go to the bathroom even. They just, they're not going to get out of that chair until you're done telling a story. You're telling it in such a masterful way. So I still learn from him. We've done, I think, 24 books together so far, and we're working on some more. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, it's good. It's a good collaborative process. He keeps me on my toes. I'm always interested in learning more. I never thought being in the commercial industry would help being a writer. Oh, yeah, that helps an awful lot. There's actually quite a few uh, children's book authors and actually authors of thrillers and mysteries and fast-moving things that started their careers in advertising. Wow. You've written many, many books, and in my opinion, in a surprisingly short amount of time. So what is the usual amount of time to write a book? Uh, For me... I'm usually working on two books every month, so I spend like two weeks working on what James Patterson and I are working on, and then I spend two weeks working on whatever I'm going to do with for Random House, and the first draft is typically done in four months, and then there's a lot of back and forth, less back and forth on the Patterson books, because once he's happy with what I've written, then he does some rewrites, and he works with the editor, whereas with my books, I we can go back and forth, uh, I think seven or eight different times we did on Shine, and so we have to... That process is different. Like the editor reads for like a month and you're working on something else and then they get back to you with notes so you stop what you were working on and you do the changes. So if I stay at the pace I've been doing, I typically write about five books a year. What? That's insane. It is insane. (laughs) But again, it comes from that discipline of having worked in advertising where for every commercial you see on television, at least 200 or 300 scripts were rejected before they got to that final commercial. So you get really used to very quickly going to work. You sit down and you write and you write. And then when you're done writing that campaign, you write another campaign and you write another one. And uh, so you kind of 
get into a discipline. Another great training ground for authors is journalism. Anything that gives you a deadline, like the client needs to see this next Tuesday, or if, it, if you want this to be in the newspaper tomorrow, it has to be done by 4 o'clock today, anything like that will help you avoid the kind of self-indulgence of writer's block, saying, oh, I don't have anything. I'll wait for the muse to strike. That's just amazing. Yeah, so give yourself deadlines. That's why it's good when a teacher says this assignment is due on Friday. You've got three days to write this. Because uh, if you say, this is due whenever you feel like writing, just, just give it to me whenever, then you might never get around to doing it. Yeah, I that I think that's something that a bunch of authors struggle with is get, getting distracted by shiny squirrels and not actually writing. Yep. And there's more shiny squirrels with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It's a very good way of putting it. A lot of distractions. Definitely. Writing many books, you have many fans. So do you try to be original, or do you give your readers what they want? Uh, I think I try to make do stuff that, you know, because if you're going to write a book, you are going to live with it for like the six months, maybe a whole year. So you better like what you're doing. And it's, you really can't uh, anticipate. If you try to write to a trend, by the time your book gets written and published, that trend will have moved on. So you always need to be delighting yourself. And I, fortunately, I found that the things that I like to write, enough people like to read that I get to keep writing. Hmm. I know definitely a lot of people who like to read. You have written lots and lots of series with James Patterson and by yourself. So how do you keep things fresh in a series? Uh, well, in a series, you want to always do the same, but make it a little bit different. So in the Lemon Cell series, we want the zaniness and the games and the puzzles and the core group of characters. But you want to give them new challenges to overcome, new things to learn, because really uh, that's what books really are all about, or stories we follow a character and they learn and grow and something about them changes ever so slightly. And so you want to do that. And uh, in my Welcome to Wonderland series, I want to give them sort of new mysteries to solve all the time. In the Riley Mac series, I want to give them new papers to pull off. And so you just have to keep keep it the same. So it's sort of like a TV show. You know, you want to know the characters and the setting and understand the world. But if they did the same jokes every week, you'd get tired of it pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think that's like the questions that are that say if you could choose pizza or donut seed for the rest of your life, what would it be? You'd, like, choose one immediately because you love that, but then you would uh-huh. get tired of it really quick. Yep. <laughs> yep. What authors did you dislike at first but then grew into? Oh, well, hmm. I don't know if I've ever – I don't think I ever give myself uh, – Time to grow into anybody. They don't grab my attention uh, right away. Then I'm not going to grow into them. It's, I don't think that it's up 
to the reader to grow into writers. I think writers have got to grab my attention and entertain me. I guess because, you know, I spent a lot of time doing theater and comedy and working in radio that I look at myself more as a writer who's an entertainer. And so I think that's the job of a writer is to entertain. Not uh, I'm not so into the lofty uh, artistic merit of it all. Well, then, what what gets you into a book? Usually it's like suspense. Like, I love books by Stuart Gibbs, and I think uh, Grace Lynn is terrific, R.J. Palacio. So all of them do something that, and uh, Christopher Paul Curtis is one of my absolute favorites. They all create a world that grabs me and pulls me in. And those are the books. Oh, I'm looking up here my book. Steve Seinkin writes nonfiction that does that. Uh, his newest book is Born to Fly. So it's, I guess I want books that are going to start like a movie in my head. Hmm. That's what I do a lot. I try to write stories like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Um, besides James Patterson, are you friends with any other authors? Oh, yeah, a lot of us, we see each other a lot at uh, conferences and stuff. So, and I just recently uh, edited a collection of mystery short stories for the Mystery Writers of America. And I got to invite nine of my friends to contribute stories. And I got to meet other people. And let's see, R.L. Stein lives in my neighborhood. And Dan Gutman's up here. And he organizes these little Back in the day, when we could go out to restaurants, we'd all go to a diner and eat soup and talk to each other. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very nice community of people. That's so cool how you have, like, R.L. Stein just, like, right next door. Yeah, he's oh, not next door, but he's a couple blocks away. And, you know, I'll see him at the farmer's market and stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty neat. I live in a part of New York City where there are a lot of writers. Hmm. Do you have any magazines or blogs for writers that you subscribe to? Uh, I read a lot of, there's a whole series of books called Save the Cats, and I used to like their podcast, but I don't think they're doing one anymore. Uh, that's a really good, it's really a screenwriting structure, but it's really storytelling, and uh, yeah, so th- that's a good Resource Saves the Cat. And I've been trying some uh, other podcasts, but so far they seem to be more about the business of selling books and stuff. And uh, I haven't found one I love yet. Maybe yours. We have to subscribe to your podcast. Well, thank you. I have enjoyed getting to know you, but I want to be respectful of your time. So we'll wrap it up. All right. Thank you so much for sharing all of these valuable insights for to me as a writer and also my podcast listeners. Uh, my pleasure, and thank you for having such good questions. Thank you for writing your book. Uh, all right. I got to go back. I'm doing a rewrite right now, so I better go back and start rewriting. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. Wonderful interview. If you're listening, Chris, I want to thank you again for taking the time to interview me. If you would like to see the full podcast transcript, purchase some of Chris Grabstein's books, and more, visit my website at planetwriting.wordpress.com. All right, that wraps it up. See you next time, and keep writing.